0: crew as they seek answers to these and other timeless questions, and serve Mount Olympus by safeguarding the path of mystic ascension. Welcome to the Pride of Olympus.
2: and welcome to Pride of Olympus i'm Hercules Invictus uh, today your producer and engineer i'm very proud to announce another episode of disclosure network with nick greetings nick
3: well hello there hercules it's always a true pleasure to be with you looking Same forward here. to the program
2: and uh, you have a wonderful guest lined up for today, so I'll let you introduce your guest, and I'll go about my, uh, my uh, engineering responsibilities. <laughs>
3: uh, okay, very good. That's a good deal, and you are the best producer anyone could ever hope to have, and I, I do mean that, as you know. So our program is Disclosure Network with Nick, and I'm Nick Curto, co-founder and director. Uh, DNNY is a grassroots organization now celebrating our 18th year of providing two meetings a month throughout the year in Manhattan. We focus on cutting-edge UFO ET issues, paranormal phenomenon, related subjects, including spirituality, and we go deep into these exciting and sometimes misunderstood important subjects. Our members do intensive investigative research into these various topics, and share that information with our group at our meetings and also with our followers on the Internet. Our motto has been right from day one, quote, connecting the dots to seek truth, unquote. We have available to everyone worldwide the DNNY News Blast email service focusing on the topics of special interest, and that service is totally free. Just uh, visit our website, which is www.dnny.info and type in your email address where it is asked for. Uh, be sure and push send and you'll be immediately connected with us and with hundreds of people uh, worldwide. Uh, and they signed up for this service. Again, it's totally free and um, you'll be on the cutting edge of all the issues and new information as it comes forth from our members as well as the people that are doing the research. Our featured guest for this podcast is a very dear friend and and dear colleague, Susanna, who I first met when I attended a meeting at the UN because I was asked to be a panelist for a program that Susanna was producing. A very warm welcome to you, Susanna,
4: Hello, good evening, Nick. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here with such wonderful guests and a uh, wonderful audience. It is my pleasure to be here tonight, and I look forward to uh, meeting and greeting with you all.
3: Well, again, it's, it's you're one of those people on my short list of people that I did want on my podcast, and I'm delighted that you could join us this evening. Uh, so thank you so much for being in my program. And what I'd like to do at the very beginning uh, is to talk a little bit about uh the guests um, um background a little bit and uh as we go forth so the the listeners will understand a little bit about about you so my first question if I may ask it is uh where you were born
4: Oh well, my god all over the world I am a national of Uruguay Montevideo Uruguay and I lived uh, all over the world uh, because of my father's diplomacy I got to grow up in Romania, in Spain, in Montevideo, in the United States, in Italy, Paris, uh, Russia—a <laughs> little bit all over the world. I would say a planetary citizen.
3: Uh, uh, how wonderful is that—to to be in so many various places that are so diverse, and that's just a a wonderful way to absorb what's going on. So that's great. Did you have a very big family? Were there many brothers and sisters?
4: Not at all. It was always mom, dad, my sister, and I. My father is deceased, and my sister lives in Montevideo with her family.
3: Excellent, excellent. And when you grew up, uh, was there any spiritual uh, calling or denomination that your, your, your family celebrated?
4: Yes, I was born a Catholic Christian. And my grandmother, although she was a Christian, she told me everything about metaphysics and spirituality. She was a storyteller. I believe right now that she was a psychic. And by the time I was age seven, I knew all of the properties of uh, the metaphysics of the crystals. I was attached to amethyst and agate from Uruguay.
3: How wonderful. that uh, That is terrific to have that uh, in, right in your family. Oh, that sounds like such an amazing experience. So good yes. for you to have such wonderful family there. And then tell us a little bit about schooling. Uh, you moved so many times. Um, what did you do for, for schooling, if I may ask, just briefly?
4: Sure. <laughs> well, schooling was amazing uh, because um, – when I was living in Romania, I had always pr- private tutors because I started uh, in Romanian Bucharest schooling for a couple of months, and because of the Communist Party, they had to remove me because I was the daughter of a diplomat, so I couldn't mix with the children. So they segregated me. Therefore, hence, I had to have private tutors, and um, everything that came into the house, piano lessons, ballet, French instruction, um, multiple languages. I spoke, by the time I was eight, Romanian, French, Spanish, and Italian. And uh, then um, I went uh, to Montevideo. No, before that, I was in boarding school in Madrid for two years. And after that, when I moved to Uruguay uh, for three years, I went to lycée Francais. So for me, it was very hard because um, when I arrived in Romania, I spoke uh, a little bit of Spanish because I was very young, but I started uh, working in Romanian in the school, and then my tutor was French, so I had to learn French, and when I went to Uruguay that I spoke only French and Romanian and and then some of the Spanish because I was in boarding school. I was doing the double baccalauréat, baccalauréat français, the uh, lycée français de Montevideo, so <laughs> I had to learn like French, Spanish, and um, Romanian, and uh, all of these languages, and then my father was transferred to the United States, so unfortunately for me, I didn't speak English, so when I went to the Mary Louis Academy in high school, before I started college, they put me in the challenge kids, because they thought I was a little bit challenged because I didn't speak English. And that's when I learned about disabilities because uh, they put me in a classified like uh, an intelligent or something. And um, at a very early age, I started tasting the discrimination in Romania from being a capitalist pig at seven and not being a communist then being in Uruguay. Uh, I was called uh, all kinds of things because I was a daughter of the colonies and I was uh, not fitting into Uruguay. And then when I came to America, I was just a plain, unfortunate speak. That's what the kids addressed me, although it was a private school for ladies and Catholic school. They segregated me because I was Spanish. And um, after that... I, my father took me away from college because he thought I was a little bit of a subversive. I was going to Queens College, I studied Romance Languages and Music, and he put me back inside the UN,
1: <laughs> where
4: I was the youngest person at the United Nations at the time, because I was under age 21, and um, he made sure that I wouldn't be picketing or rioting, because in in college. That's what I liked, uh, going to the picket lines, uh, fighting for the Vietnam War, and being in the concerts uh, for peace. And he thought that was totally subversive. So, since the beginning of my life, I grew up in the United Nations. So, I had to speak different languages there, and I learned very fast English. And um, now I speak, uh, because of all of that, about seven or eight languages. And... um, I became a simultaneous interpreter for the people from undocumented papers, for the Spanish community, also for the French and the Romanian. So I can do simultaneous interpretation in four languages.
3: But I speak Spanish. Susanna, what a, what a background. That is such an incredible background at such an early age. Um, I knew it was going to be something like that, but I had no <laughs> idea of the, of the real of that, oh my goodness, that was quite a lot. And obviously you surmounted your challenges very well.
4: Well, I have to advise everybody in the diplomatic world, because a lot of my friends had suffered greatly uh, with uh, families and identities and nationalities and other kind of problems, uh, that um, it's very harsh for children because Uh, you know at the age two i was dropped in spain then i was dropped in uruguay then from uruguay that i became for the first time attached to my maternal maternal and paternal grandmothers who were raising me for a couple of years they sent me to romania completely alone and there i was uh, very challenged for many years And then in boarding school, I was totally abused. And my mother didn't know what was going on. She thought she was giving me the best possible educations. The granddaughters of Francisco Franco were going to my school. It was the most expensive school at the time. And I was being tortured. (laughs) And um, then uh, when I went back to Uruguay, I was overlooked like some kind of weirdo alien coming from a communist country. So I was alienated there. And then I came to the United States and I became some kind of um, Spanish person with uh, mental challenges. (laughs) And at the UN, they tried to um, uh, segregate me because they thought that I entered because of nepotism, so I was isolated there again, and um, I urged the parents to please their children, and when you make such a strong cultural transitions too, please know that they're not telling you things, but they do suffer greatly. And this has been always my um, pain inside my heart of the detachment and the uprooting of cultures and nationalities. And now it's become like an advantage because I have like no boundaries with anybody and uh, I'm very happy with my new international family. But it took a lot of time, and yes, I still
3: I
1: suffer. <laughs>
3: I can understand that. That's very understandable. And you were you were you were subjected to such abuse. Uh, just so so sad that you had to go through that at all. And yet, I I've known you now for a while, and you certainly are so good with everybody of every nationality, or religious background. You. You flow seamlessly, and you're, you're so, you attract uh, people who uh, give, you, uh, give everyone their very best. You, you bring out that in everyone. I've seen that many times. And Thank perhaps, you.
1: Thank you. No,
3: you, you, Thank deserve you. To, you deserve to hear that. You, you do. And uh, I've noticed you. that right at the very beginning. And, but, but perhaps, even though this was very unfortunate and a real roller coaster on so many emotional levels, that somehow it made you stronger. It, it really. Oh yes. Think, right, subjecting to definitely, all that. Definitely, definitely.
4: Nick, I have to tell all the audience that it's been the wonderful blessing in disguise because I, I'm finding infinite compassion and love for everybody, and uh, pretty much I see myself in everybody that I meet, and it would be very, very difficult for me to hurt them deliberately. I have um, been a volunteer in many causes because every one touches my heart. And no matter what the circumstances, I have forgone all of my elitist past (laughs) because um, of all of my upbringing and became friends of the true creatures of God, the human race, which embraces everything, and uh, color, religion, and certainly all of the social causes.
3: Exactly right. And and you do that all the time. Every time I've seen you, you, you move in those directions and you bring out, again, the very best of everyone around you. And uh, you. when I first met you, I, I, I immediately thought, boy, Susanna is in the right place. The, the UN meeting various people of various nations and various cultures. And you move seamlessly through all of that and bring out the very best in everyone. And it's just a gift and and you know what you did you kind of you did your time so to speak, and did the roller coaster trip and suffered, but you know what it taught you so much, and now you're using that for the best possible advantage and so i just I just want to say I do observe that from you and I, everyone you. else i'm sure I always tell
4: people always have a plan B and turn your lemons into lemonade it's worth it.
3: Oh brother, that, that that rings a bell. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> oh, wow. Now, um, I know that you're a champion of of some very very wonderful causes, and of course, I'm going to put it at the very top, which I'd like you to 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 talk a little bit about, is your your stand of. Of, of a peaceful world, of, of bringing peace off, uh, onto this planet and and keeping it there. And could you tell us a little bit about some of the amazing projects that you have produced uh, in the past and in the, in the future, what you're planning now?
4: Sure. Um, I just have to say something very interesting because growing up in Romania, um, they used to have the Laborers' Day, the 1st of May, and it was – dedicated, although they were overcoming war and overcoming everything and the regime was so abrupt, they had, uh, first of May, the most incredible parades and uh, uh, things in the name of peace. And my family used to say, oh my God, this is like so ridiculous, this is like so fake. But I was very proud to see people parading, at least doing some kind of activity Uh, that for the day it seemed peace because all of the military were marching, all of the students were marching, all of the acrobats, musicians and everybody in the country was putting their red um, um, wrap around their neck and walking proudly. Whether it was fake or real, it taught me a sense of celebration in the face of strife and um, this is what I've been trying to Do because uh, since I grew up, uh, I grew up like in Romania when there was always a sense of war, where um, all of these people were uh, suffering from different uh, regimes and political division. And um, I was segregated from different kinds of capitalist, communist, Democrat, Republican, poor, rich, white, whatever. And oh, and the worst for me at the time was because I was a Catholic and they were Orthodox. When I went back to boarding school, they almost excommunicated me of the church because they told me I went to an Orthodox church. That's what made me interface <laughs> because I couldn't <laughs> believe that just going to visit on a Sunday a cross on the neighborhood, I didn't know it was Catholic or Orthodox. It was just a cross at the door and I walked through and then they told me, if I had observed the holidays and Sundays mass, and I said, oh, yes, I went to the church around. And they said, oh, that's an Orthodox church. That's broken down from the religion. You shouldn't have gone. You cannot pray with us anymore. You're heretic. And I was just, what, seven, eight, nine. Oh. I'm not sure. And I wasn't sure. I was praying. And now I'm incredibly proud to be an interfaith minister because no matter how much work I've done, Uh, during 9-11, which I stepped forth, and this is how the Vigil for Peace started. Uh, I used to do at the UN every year the International Day of Peace since I started, Um, and in 1981, I was when they first had the International Day of Peace Declaration with all of the NGOs and the people from my office. uh, They were called the Mohicans. The Mohicans were the people uh, the United Nations that first founded after the treaty in San Francisco and were, live, um, were had the office in the lake placid that 's where the first United Nations was before the building of the Secretariat was built and those were my 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 bosses and they were my supervisors and um, I was there in one thousand nine hundred and eighty one and I was very, very happy to know and we started celebrating the International Day of Peace, and I was also following Sri Moy who was having the meditations every Monday at the UN in the Dark Hammer Show, and I was very happy because I would go for an excuse to have a break away from the office for an entire hour and a half. I could take my lunch and take the meditation, so I would be as long as I could away from the office. And they always had darshan at the end, so they gave you a little gift, a little sweet, plus a prayer. And it was very, very quiet, because when I started at the UN, we didn't have cubicles. We had like four or five desks blocked together in the middle of a gigantic room, and there was the accounts division. And the phones were ringing, people were smoking, everybody was typing, uh, they were getting up for coffee, we had to ask permission to go to the bathroom. It was incredibly uh, outrageous. (laughs) And people don't believe that I did all this kind of work. They think, oh, Susie's always gliding and gallivanting from party to party. But I work hard, and I worked at the UN every day from the beginning of times. And I was pretty much there for every activity and the United Nations went through, which was amazing because for me, at one point I was walking from one building to the other during the 90s. And um, before 9-11, the United Nations Park was just a beautiful park. They had swings. The children could come visit on 48th Street. It was going all the way to the drive. Uh, There were no fences. There were no barricades, certainly not a cement pylon that separated anything We just had a very ornate shrubbery and a beautiful picket, not not a picket, um, like a garden, uh, like a flower bed all around with yellow daffodils. And um, uh, the trees were planted when the United Nations was donated by Rockefeller. Uh, for the uh, building uh, originally and then Doug Hammershall beautified it in the 60s with every possible beautiful permutation of artistic um, design so I usually take my friends for seeing frescoes from Das Steele, the period of Mondrian in the basement mm-hmm. of the US there's art that is concealed from the public because they don't know what they are they're just they think they're just objects of redact, but in reality they were gifted by different nations and uh, it was so beautiful and i'm walking through the garden and all of a sudden they're chopping the trees and i said to them i'm like what's going on they said oh we have to cut down the trees because we are putting more poles for the staffs of the flags and I went crazy with the gardener because the gardener used to, you know, we have a beautiful UN garden in the back that nobody can visit anymore with a hundred and fifty varieties of all over the world of roses. And we Whoa. used to go in May to see the blooming, and every time he used to cut a bunch of roses and leave them on my desk, you know. And uh, I I saw him chopping the trees, and I was like, "Oh my God, what's going on?" And he mm-hmm. said, "Well, he said you should be happy because because we have some free nations." and I said but that's not right what do you mean free nations my friends now they're separated from their families because they're different tribes and it was at the time when they were having all of the separations of the countries Uh, I think it was uh, Zaire, Congo Zaire we had the upper Volta, lower Volta Um, we had uh, Namibia we had Madagascar we had Macedonia all of these countries emerged while I was working at the UN. I started with 83 flags, and my father was very friends with the senators because he was a very um, political influence in my country, and um, I called him uncle, and it was uh, Mr. Planchon who signed the treaty in San Francisco. Uruguay was number 49 country to sign the treaty in San Francisco. And... uh, I was very desolate seeing that the trees were being cut, that they were putting more flags. And although I love the flags, I realized that somebody somewhere was going to be separated because when I was growing in Romania, um, they were separating, they were trying to separate from Moldova, from the north of Romania. So they were always trying to have skirmishes. And Bulgaria and Yugoslavia were always at war within the country. But at the time... It wasn't you know, visible, it's just like the USSR. We used to go to Moscow all the time and to Kiev, to the beach. And we used to go to different parts, like Odessa, to the ports. I went to a Russian camp when I was little and go to the beach. And nobody knew the USSR was going to have this kind of division and mitosis, you know, and uh, start separating. And I didn't know that all of these trees were going to be chopped off to put more flags. And now that I left the UN uh, recently it breaks my heart to know that there's 193 flags (laughs) so that means we are not united nations, we are separating the nations so this is a question mark that no matter what I say now because I'm usually not supposed to discuss any of my personal feelings, it still breaks my heart, I wish we had three continents only or five continents and that would be it. No frontiers, no religions, Mm -hmm. and certainly not races, because um, I never understood racism, because since I was in Romania, we had, my family was the first people who embraced the ambassador of, um, I think it was Senegal. They came to my Uh house, and they were the first that I had seen at the time, and they were incredibly lovely. And then Mm -hmm. uh, Zubin Mehta came to the NSCO Festival, and he injured his back, and he stayed in my house, and he brought Ambassador Kilnani and his daughters with the Hindu saris and everything, and they stayed in my house for a week. So since I'm very little, I was very, very pleased to know these wonderful guests with exotic costumes and different uh, things, and the ambassador of Africa was very nice, and she had like a nice perfume, and it was very little, so she put it on my nose, and she had this incredible clothing with these silks and these beautiful, beautiful outfits that dazzled me, and I grew up in that kind of world thinking that everybody... Is together, and I was like the only weirdo little girl <laughs> that couldn't uh-huh. go places because either I was a capitalist pig or a heretic Catholic or some kind uh-huh. of <laughs> degenerate colonist daughter <laughs> in Spain. Uh-huh. They uh-huh. alienated me in boarding schools because they said, uh, although I was the daughter of a diplomat, I was the daughter of the colonies. So I couldn't uh-huh. play with their children. So I Incredible. only became friends with the daughter of the ambassador of Cameroon, who was French, and she was also daughter of the colonies, although she was Spanish. (laughs) But, you know, (laughs) it's very funny how it went.
3: Yeah, it's funny now, but, of course, at the time, and going through that that turbulence and such unfair judgments uh, had to take uh, its toll, and that's unfortunate. But But you you know what's good
4: about my heart? I have to tell you, Nick, and tell everybody. Please. I never knew the difference. I never noticed it till I started, you know, talking to my therapist that I was really so unfortunate because I took things as, you know, the way they were, and I had an incredible resilience, and I was seeking out to be with people all the time because my parents were always traveling, so... I have all of the typical syndromes of a narcissist and a separation anxiety. <laughs> That's, uh, but, you know, those were mechanisms of defense that never got me, you know, uh, so sad as I see now when I deal with the younger children, now that I deal with children and the homeless and the refugees from uh, other countries. I see their pain, and they're really, really suffering. I don't know if because they're told they're suffering or because they're tortured or because they're really being uprooted because of the media or more discriminated because of the media. I don't know. At the time in Romania, I was pretty isolated. I mean, like, I didn't see many people during the day, and our house had a huge fence, so I couldn't go out in the street, and we had security in and out And we had the chauffeur, the maid, the the nanny, the the cook, whatever we had. They were all from the securitate of the government. So I was always under supervision. And um, everybody that worked in our block at the time was being uh, with the military. So children were not even outside. And I was with my private tutors, so I would seldom see them. And they were not allowed to come to my house, and I was not allowed to go to their house, and oh. I was not allowed to play in the street. So.
3: <laughs> oh my goodness! And I isolation is like... such a horrible, horrible thing. People that are isolated for whatever reason, it's just such a burden to not be able to to be who, with who you'd like to be with, and to to have the freedom to walk around and not be not be in any way. Uh, um, scorned, and and yeah. you certainly have had that in your life. Uh, how unfortunate! But you've you've really uh, faced that, and you've, you've 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 won because you actually it now is. you're circulating with so many different people on such a major level. And the, the UN seems to be this, this is my personal opinion the perfect place that you ended yeah. up. Consider- it was my playground,
4: yes. <laughs> yes,
3: <laughs> absolutely. Reality, it still is. It still is very I have, much. To
4: say, I have to say that during my work at the UN, I suffered greatly because um, I entered because of my father's push to get me inside the UN and he took me out from college and he said, from now on you're going with me to the UN. And he took me to Madame Metcalfe's office And he said, my daughter would like to work here. And, of course, we had the ambassadors. We had everybody in the United States giving me letters of recommendation. And she challenged my dad. She said, if she can pass the test, although she's incredibly young, she can go at the UN. So they put me in this room and then made me get all of these tests. And, of course, to me, speaking three or four languages, it was just like, Talking English, or I, I, I multi think during the day in Spanish, and I have all of my diaries in in Romanian or whatever, Italian, French, or Portuguese, and I really understand them. Most people didn't, including my psychiatrist. When I went on a regression, she thank God she spoke Spanish. And she could understand some of the Romanian because she couldn't figure out what I was doing on my regression. And I was just talking my age at the time, which was very funny. But I entered the UN incredibly young and I was totally frustrated because I was too young to become a tour guide. So as I entered the UN, everybody was trying to get their hands on me and everybody was trying to to play with me and everything, but I was like Puritan and I was totally restricted and that was always there so I was always hands off and that dad went back to Uruguay and I stayed with my mom for a while to finish up my contract and I went to Uruguay and I got married and I got married and came back to the States. I was a teenager still <laughs> and it was hard for us and um, while I was at the UN I was um, people were trying to abuse me sexually, and I told them I would never be promoted because of nepotism or sexual abuse or sexual favors. So oh I am proud to know. I have three cases pending of sexual harassment at the UN because I won before I retire because they suspended me because I accused somebody because they were stalking me and tried to strangle me. And I uh, would like this radio show to really be heard for the girls who were molested last year and the year before. So I can give them all of my papers and all of the documents, including letters from my president, which told them that I had the right. And my documents are historic now because I accuse major people of not doing the work. And I won, so they paid me all of my pension, all of the suspension of the sick leave certified that I took. And what was very interesting was to find out that I retire I'm the only person in the United Nations who worked all of their lives and was never promoted.
1: No. I was never right? ever
4: promoted. Never.
1: Oh, goodness. Nope. wow. No. Nope. Oh, nope. oh, they tried Sarah. to suspend oh, me
4: uh, because um I would say no to everything. And, of course, after Dad left the United States, I joined the United Nations Union. So I was one of the most incredible activists at the UN, and uh, I just found certain magazines at the UN. And you see me in the fountain picketing against the, the people who were kidnapped in Lebanon, and my friend Alec Collette died. And uh, then we did other activities for the right of water. We did activities, and we dressed in black for peoples not getting the raise and the pension fund. (laughs) And we did other activities for people who were prisoners in different countries, and I had to witness the American Indians coming to picket in front of the U.N. because what they call now the Isaiah Wall, um, turn your flowers into and turn your swords into plowshares, etc., on the steps right. on 43rd Street. They used to put the tents, the, the the Native Americans used to come with the chiefs, and I was blessed because I was blessed by the Indians, uh, the American Indians, the Natives. I really don't know what the political correct word is because as a polyglot, to me, all the words are the same. It's just the emphasis that you put when you use it. And I remember crossing the street to talk to a big chief, and I was there talking, and I and I stood next to him, and I grabbed his picket, and I said, I will stand for you. I really don't want the pipelines to go through your nation. And this security guard comes and grabs me by the hand, and he said, You're a United Nations. How dare you go on a picket line and ally with a different country? You are for all the nations. You cannot take one side, blah, blah, blah. They scolded me. And oh. they suspended me. They oh. really, really gave me the runaround and they really, really <laughs> I don't know what's gonna happen after this conversation, but really they were not nice to me. Well, and uh,
1: yeah. uh that's, that's then a, another time. The
4: yeah, and then another time I was there when people were doing the hunger strike, uh, for the Catholics and the Protestants in Ireland and I saw all of these stands of the people not eating, and again I crossed the street to give them water and food, and I was scolded again for crossing the 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 wire, but they were allowed. We were allowed to chain ourselves to the door and throw blood upon ourselves. (laughs)
1: Wow. Oh, my goodness.
4: Yeah, uh, that happened. I I couldn't go to the picket chain. Uh, They they, they stopped me, but my friends chained themselves to the gate of the U.N. and poured blood on themselves, and they stayed there for a couple of days. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and then we got shot, and then we got whatever and then we had helicopters and then people threw themselves out of windows and uh,
1: oh.
4: and uh, we went through the whole gamut of uh, emotional upheaval and um, on all of that the United Nations has been doing incredible work it's the only place in the world where people can stand together three months of the year with all of the nations on the sacred general assembly There is no place in the world where this can happen. And I was Mm -hmm. very, very blessed to be there every year after year and go to the opening as a staff member of the General Assembly with different secretary generals in my life who will welcome the people of all nations in their beautiful, beautiful plumage of array of costumes and also national uh, garb. And it it, it was thrilling for me. It was incredibly thrilling, but inside the offices I had to go through nepotism, sexual abuse, discrimination, and a lot, a lot of personal emotional abuse, because when I outed my boss, they put me in a room, on a filing room on the 22nd floor that was isolated, and it had a gate, and I had a bell, and I could only open the top door to see people, so it was just like... Monastic punishment, and I wanted to be a nun anyway and I was in Spain, and I used by choice to go on the weekend to a retirement cloister to become a nun, so it wasn't too bad doing the that kind of filing room isolation and um, and I learned that i always had allies I always had people who were sympathetic to the cause. I always had people that looked up to me to some kind of solace. And I always, always, always prayed. When I was in boarding school in Spain, I would go to stay away from the children that were really, really mean. The the kids in Spain were really, really mean. It was probably one of the worst experiences I've ever had. They were meaner meaner than the communist kids in the street. And they would just, you know, just isolate me, insult me, ridicule my clothes, push away the chair, accuse me of things I've never done. I was always, you know, insulted and I was like in my pajamas in the middle of the night being kicked out of the room because they said that I talked or they said that I put, uh, you know, stuff in their bed just things I've never done. I, I was Shocking. a very good girl. Absolutely. I was a very Shocking. good girl. But uh, what happened is that all of these things, they gave me like an inner strength. So I asked Mother Superior one time, and I said, can I go at night and watch the the, the Holy Host? So they put me on midnight watch on Holy Fridays, and then on the Fridays they will take uh, the, the Holy Host in the sacrarium And uh, they had to have a vigil, exactly what I do, a vigil, a 24-hour vigil uh, to bless Jesus. And we were allowed to pray or stay in the chapel praying the rosary on our knees all night. And that was my freedom. That was like, oh, yes, please, please. So I would stay away from the room so the girls wouldn't just do pranks and torture me. So I started praying. So at an early age, I found the solace and comfort of deep prayer and intimacy with God that walked me through every challenge in my life. And because I had lupus for most of my life until last year, last year I reversed lupus with a bulletproof coffee diet, which I adore. And thank you, Dr. Mango, who put me back in track. Reverse erotic liver, lupus, uh, the pleur- pleurisy, pericarditis, all of these things that I have here, like on a, I shredded them as a New Year's Eve thing. I shredded all of my diagnoses, all of the UN papers, and started a new life. But praying was what I did for survival. Prayer is what I do for atonement. And this is what I learned when I was very isolated at the UN. I used to go and pray. I used to go to the meditation. I used to be... All the time at the Holy Family Church on 47th Street, every day for Mass, every day for Communion, every day for Rosary Prayer, and bring my friends. So we had our little entourage and kick to the prayer Rosary <laughs> and the Communion guys. And I became, you know, I would sing in the chorus, then I was a member of the United Nations Choir, and that was my happiness, because at the UN, for four days a year, we could go on tour with the UN singers to a country and not be charged medical leave or annual leave or certified leave or any kind of the permutations we have to have on vacation days. And I sang with them, and we went all over the place, and I got to sing in 25 languages, and I got to drink up in... Seven different costumes and nationalities, and we're all dressed up. And the UN singers are still at it, and they just went to China. And my best friends are in it it's still. And yesterday I saw Mark Anthony, and I love Mark Anthony and Chuck. They're just I, I love my friends, and they're still there, and they still tour. I just don't have the
3: discipline to go
4: every Wednesday night.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Suzanne, I I've been thinking as you've been so wonderfully telling us about your life and. Really, uh, an amazing story. I have to say that, Susanna, there's a book there, your book of your life. <laughs> you really, I'm going to encourage you to please think about that, because I think that your story needs to be said on so many levels that Thank it's you. just something I think people would would be helped if they could hear what you were just saying on my podcast. It's it's truthful it's 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 challenging, and it's brave. And I think that you'd help a tremendous amount of people if at some point in your life you will sit down and put that into uh, black and white so it becomes a book. Uh, I just think Thank that you. would be something. It would be a gift, and I, I want to encourage yeah. that.
4: Yana Darilis was uh, asking me, and now that I'm working with Patrick uh, Ryan as my executive producer for The Vigil, he was interviewing me the other day, and it was very, very funny, because this theme since 31 December that I mentioned today at the UN uh, meeting that we had, I had oh, been, yes. like, this urge to tell my stories, and uh, I got over that kind of piousness, and they told me I was egocentric, and I shouldn't talk about myself, and, and you have to go to heaven, and you don't have to be a narcissist, blah, blah. I don't care. Oh. I think that I have something to say, and I'm going to say it, and working on the ground for so many charities for so many years, I know that the benefit is when it's one-on-one, because I yep. do my ministry in the soup kitchens and the hospitals and all of the volunteer things that I do. But I realized that perhaps in a book, um, I don't know if it's it would be like a book, but I was thinking more of a blog, like Susie's uh, help, uh, daily help, or just whatever, because during the week, um, even as I arrived today, as I was in the taxi back from the UN, people texted me and they said, Susie, can you talk to me tonight? Can you give me a time? And I said, give me 30 minutes and we'll make it. So I had two phone calls from some of my p- friends or people that I know, and they just wanted to talk to me. And I don't mm-hmm. say anything meaningful that I would think, oh, my God, these are pearls of wisdom. But they were like, thank you for reminding me of that. Oh, yeah, that's what I needed to hear. Or, thank you, yes. Yes, okay, I'll do that. And I'm like, what did I say? I'm like, (laughs) it's it's not really that important. And when I'm in those kind of downs, down the doldrums in my own heart, I don't have Susie to tell me, hey, listen to this (laughs) or that. I talk to myself all the time, and it's like, hey, why are you hurting so much? I'm giving you all this advice, and you're not listening to it. You're still upset. (laughs) And uh, I'm like, you know, but they seem to be okay. And it was amazing because... A friend of mine was telling me something just now. And I told him, I said, do not be discouraged because we, the challenges that are happening happening to all of us right now are
1: exactly yes.
4: what everybody is going through right now.
1: Yes. And in
4: different circumstances, and they seem paramount. And when you look back at your life of the worst day of your life if you're here to tell the stories like i meet the people from the holocaust and from the romanian uh, torture camps and the russian kgb jails and i had the privilege of meeting mandela and mother teresa and they go through a bad day times a hundred or a million to the nth potency and they make it and they're here to tell their story and they're here to keep encouraging us so there's Always pros of wisdom in everything that we say. And yeah. somewhere, somehow, we're relevant to someone somewhere. And I'm grateful for that.
3: No, absolutely. And I think that you had mentioned a blog. Well, I, I would say to you that that plus the book, two, two separate vehicles to communicate truth, would be wonderful. Because both of them will get different audiences and you'll reach different people. With that, with both of those things, and I just think your story is amazing. Well, I could almost see a movie. I'm, I'm, I'm serious, <laughs> really, because it's got it's everything. It's so funny.
4: It's so funny no, because it the got challenges.
3: It, it's got, it's, it's real life. It's truthful, and there's nothing more powerful. I think to agree as the truth. The truth is very, very. Thank you, very powerful. Thank and you so, Nick, and yeah. I
4: want to tell you that I, uh, my friend, used to tell me something that was called the two theory. When you hear the same time once or twice during the day, she calls it the two theory. And on Monday, uh, we had the vigil meeting for the executive committee, and I invited a couple of friends that are friends with Monica Icon, my new titan in life. That's going to be an associate from the 9/11 uh, Remembrance Museum, and uh, I have to give her the title right because she corrected me today. But I look at just Monica Icon. She's a wonderful 9/11 person. And they came to the house, uh, and um, we talked to Yana Darilis, and you know Yana Darilis is one of my favorite producers in the world, and she was saying, oh, Savannah, you have to make a movie, and then Simon comes, and he said, yeah, we're looking into doing a movie, and then Simon talks to Patrick and to Guru. Guru Dilip, and they go, you know what, this should be a movie, we should document the Vigil for Peace, 18 years is a very long time to have this happening, we should be doing something more meaningful for others to emulate the program, and of course, Yana is like, okay, I'll produce the show, I'll give you the script, and I'll manage the vigil in Central Park, and I will script you, so you guys do something meaningful, I said, why don't we do it like a Kardashian reality show, the vigil reality show, uh-huh. and... Wow. um Patrick uh, Ryan came up with this title, "I Am the Vigil." So that's our Ooh. movie. <laughs> oh, it is!
3: It is. I would go in a second to see that, and so would my friends. Yeah, so is
4: great? And I got
3: to say that attended the uh, the wonderful peace rally that was in uh, Central Park uh, at the band show, uh in September. Uh, ah. I was so moved and so impressed with the amazing performances. That were on that stage, and also in the audience the the feeling of brotherhood and sisterhood, and the fact that peace is the most important thing we could focus on, especially now and it was an amazing afternoon, and I will not forget that ever
4: thank you and you know this is my seventeenth celebration, but I count nine eleven as my first celebration because Uh, I couldn't go to the UN on September 21st to do the International Day of Peace, although the resolution had come the Friday before, Resolution 55-282, which is the one I took to Central Park, which says to celebrate the third Tuesday that falls on the 21st of September of every year.
1: Mm -hmm.
4: I'm going to explain a little bit because I think it's important that people know this. In 1981, the United Nations came up. With uh, um, I don't know. It's not a law. It's a resolution. Yes, the Resolution 3366, which says that every year on the third Tuesday before the General Assembly in September, they should have a 24-day observance for the International Day of Peace. And in uh, 7 September 2001, Jeremy Gilley, after talking since 1995 with uh, several uh, Secretary Generals and specifically Kofi Annan and the Ambassador of Costa Rica, uh, the General Assembly approved Resolution 55 282, which declares to celebrate a 24 hour observance for the International Day of Peace on a fixed date, the 21st of September of every year in every household in any manner of our choosing to celebrate ceasefire. And what happened is that by having, instead of the third Tuesday in September before the General Assembly, if we have the 21st of September every year, we can start countdown 24 hours. Or on every continent. So we in Australia they start first, and in Asia, and then we move around, and we culminate at 12th in the United Nations on the 21st of September. So that is made more sense, and a lot of people are reporting a lot of information about our ceasefire worldwide, which I think is fascinating because just raising the awareness, which is the point. Of the uh, the International Day of Peace and the ceasefire worldwide is what I did on the vigil uh, before uh, the 21st of September on September 11th when the towers fell down. I was supposed to go with my dad to uh, First National City Bank. We had an appointment. My mother called, and we were late and we didn't make it because we were supposed to have been there, <laughs> wow. so we weren't. Oh,
2: boy. Yeah, oh, we wow. weren't.
4: Yes, it's divine providence. So I went instead to the corner uh, with a candle singing uh, Amazing Grace. And, of course, all of the UN singers and my friends and my neighbors, they came to the corner with a candle. And on the night, we had an observance on 47th Street and First Avenue. And they had already closed the streets. We had all of the trucks, all of the picket lines, all of the barricades. They closed uh, all of 1st Avenue, all of 2nd Avenue from 35th Street all the way to 59th Street to the bridge from 3rd to 1st. Even I, in order for me to go to the UN on, on subsequent days, I had to bring my uh, phone bill or my electrical bill to prove that I lived on the block or on the street. I was on 46th and 2nd, very close to the U.N. I lived there all of my life on the east side, and now i moved on the upper east side because of the stalking uh, of the guy that subsequently made me move uptown because I couldn't take it anymore. And he was a colleague from the UN, by the way, who wanted whatever. So that's not the point. So the point is that I started this kind of singing at the corner, and I vowed uh, when I went downtown to make a difference. I said, God, I promise you, and I promised everybody, I said there's going to be a time that instead of tears we can be holding hands and smiling because something beautiful is going to happen. Just believe.
1: Amen. Amen.
4: And uh and we did the fire, the the night house, the nighttime vigil uh, in the afternoon, in the evening, on Forty Seventh Street. And we start. I started marching to the firehouse where all of the friends from the firehouse were gone. And we volunteered to cook for the firehouses. Then we started driving downtown. I became an immediate volunteer at St. Vincent's Hospital, and uh, because I was. Uh, volunteer for triage and for special services for AIDS with Cabrini Hospice. So I had the documentation. And my friend's brother that worked at the UN was in Chicago, and he told me, Susie, go downtown, talk to this one, this one from my office. They're organizing a group. And I got a pass to go and work inside the church. So I was one of the privileged first responders who was in St. Paul's Chapel Working yes. with a fireman in the dust, in the suit, and what we call downtown the pink, the pink smog, because oh. it wasn't black; it was pink because of all of the blood that had evaporated. It was just
2: and pretty gross. God, I, really I hate to be interrupting, but we need to wind down. Uh, The hour passed by very quickly, and uh, I agree with uh, Nick. There's a book and a movie and all sorts of things in your story. Uh, It's a remarkable story, and I can't wait uh, for you to continue it on another episode sometime soon. Wonderful, wonderful. Oh, time flies when you're having fun. (laughs) How how can people contact you you and get involved in all the wonderful things you're involved in? Sure, sure. So the Vigil for Peace is a grassroots effort that
4: happens in Central Park every year to the closest uh, date of 21 September of every year, and thank God for the City of New York that have given us the bandshell every year, and since 2002 we have gathered there to make music, have camaraderie and mix with everybody, and join the City of New York to celebrate life and give them opportunity to express themselves through art, music, dance, interfaith. Uh, We do fashion parades. We do music. And we are, for that moment, like what I said uh, at 9-11, that we should be together for joy and for work together, for community, not uh, just for the dead, but for the living. And this year I'm committed to celebrating the people that work on Ground Zero as us, the volunteers. Not just the names of the wall, but the ones who are still standing, that we suffer equally as much with no repair. I mean, we're still here and not, we couldn't do anything about it.
2: Wow. On so we well, 15th of September. Like this, getting involved. It, sounds, uh, it sounds awesome. Sure. The 15th of September, we are having the
4: vigil in Central Park this year. Our executive producer is. Patrick Ryan, and we have everybody like Guru Dilip Kumar, Sankapan, Guru Dilipchi, who is my vice president, and Susanna Kohler, who is my stage manager, and Xiang Chen and Marsha Silvestri, and Pedro Gina and all of the people that are involved doing fantastic work. And everybody can join us because we're looking for people that help us uh, as roadies, people who have stage buildings. We need a lot of uh, cash to finance the permits because this year, due to the political situation, we need a lot of uh, security and insurance. And, uh, Anybody that wants to do arts, they can contact us at www.vigilforpeace.org, and it's numeral for peace.org, or Susanna Basterica at gmail.com, or Bastarica at vigilforpeace.org, uh, or Patrick Ryan at vigilforpeace.org. And uh, they can call me on our phone number, which is 917 or
2: Thank you so very much, and uh, thank you, Nick, for uh, another wonderful episode of Disclosure Network with Nick. Um, I'm looking forward to speaking with you again uh, very soon.
1: Thank you. Thank
2: you, guys. Wonderful. May peace prevail on earth, everybody.
4: Love you lots, and blessings and greetings to all. Have a good evening. And
2: thank you again. Good night. God bless. Ciao, ciao.
3: Bye-bye. Much love to everyone. Bye-bye.
2: Bye. Bye. We're going to listen to Bone Post Orchestra Cry Freedom, and then we'll be back with the Unarian Revelations. And welcome back to Pride of Olympus Our second segment today Is the Unarius Revelations And I'm greatly honored to announce That we have Unarian Celeste Pell And Jennifer Staval. Uh, both, uh, both of whom have graced my show before And today we'll be discussing How we can work with higher intelligences To bring about a golden age Greetings and welcome Celeste and Jennifer
5: Greetings
6: Glad
2: to be here. I'm glad you're both here as well. Before we start on our our journey of exploration, uh, I have some good news to share. Um, I am now responsible for listing the shows, I learned how to do that and to add tags. So each episode is now labeled with the topics and the guests, and there are tags so that people typing in Unarius, for instance, will know that there's a show topic about Unarius, as well as both of your names, in case you have any followers who would like uh, to hear what you have to say. Yeah. uh, That started this week. It it will continue, and as I become more adept at it, uh, they'll be even easier to find the shows.
6: Great. That's great, Hercules.
2: I was so happy to finally learn how to do that because uh, the system I had before was very ponderous and uh, um, yeah, so things are going much more smoothly. Anyway, onwards. Uh, we're going to start with the meaning of life according to the Enarian revelations. Why are we here on this planet at this particular point in history?
6: Who wants to go first? <laughs> Me? Jennifer? Go ahead, Celeste. I'll let you. Okay. You're both You're well, both awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, it has to do with, of course, our own individual karmic history. And mm-hmm. um, Jennifer and I are old souls, and we've lived many lifetimes on this planet and other planets. And we um, actually were told that we begged for the opportunity from our spiritual teachers in the inner planes before we incarnated to come back at this time to turn around our karma by being able to work through the different cycles of the past that we would encounter, the big cycles that we've all lived at the time of Lemuria and Atlantis and Greece and Egypt that would be recycling and that we would do deeds and actions and opposite bias as we did before, and that we would be light bearers, that we'd be carrying this higher light um, through the hookup with our own higher self and be the arms and legs of these spiritual teachers to help carry out their mission to bring earth into a new positive forward momentum.
2: And I can vouch for the fact that you are indeed uh, light uh, bearers uh, as individuals and collectively uh, as part of the Unaris Academy of Science. Your light is, was one I perceived uh, um, for years now, and uh, that shines very bright in my world.
6: Well, we all are the benefactor, definitely.
5: Yeah, it's wonderful to see how you are able to have an outreach so that so many more souls can receive the energies. It's beautiful.
2: And I'm very grateful to both of you and to my other Unarian brothers and sisters for coming on uh, the show and uh, uh, sharing this light because uh, uh, the more that one... Explores Unarius, the more vast <laughs> Unarius becomes. It's <laughs> one of those paradoxical situations, uh, but it, but it is wonderful and it opens your eyes and it opens your mind, uh, and uh, uh, it's amazing how many possibilities uh, um, are there. You know, once you you tap into the the wisdom that's being conveyed.
1: Right.
2: So, how about you, Jennifer?
5: Um, along with what. Celeste uh, had mentioned that given this opportunity and that we wanted, we begged for this opportunity to turn around our past because we um, of the things from our past our negative deeds from the past but also we wanted to progress and help this planet um, take part in a progressive evolution and to step up and so as everything is energy and in Unarius you learn of your psychic anatomy, of the um, what is stored there, um, we are aware that we have these energies that need to be turned around if we want to uh, progress and to move on to higher states, um, higher planets, spiritual worlds. And so um, that is our purpose and to help the mission of Unarius move forward as it has had different names in different lifetimes, um, the Golden Age of Greece, and uh, among others, and so um, we see this as our opportunity to do so.
2: So we were drawn here then to take part in a great adventure. Um, an adventure of bringing light to this place and to helping people uh, learn what they're here to learn, and then move uh, past this place rather than being stuck here. Am I uh, understanding and communicating that correctly?
5: Yes, we were actually. This was a. Uh, this world was set up by the brothers as. Um, Another beginning point for those souls that wanted to be healed um, in Lemuria, especially um, the civilization where the scientists came and they set up the great temples and universities and it became a beautiful civilization again in Atlantis. And so this is a, another resurgence of those civilizations and um, Unerius is again um, having this resurgence and carrying on this love energy of the brothers and sisters of light
6: wow well we could actually, we could actually go back further which is mind boggling yeah. mm-hmm. um, to a civilization that was in the Orion constellation and it was called the Orion Empire and eventually it encompassed a hundred planets and the individual that was the despotic, autocratic, tyrannical leader called Tarantus was a fallen angel on Terrace. And he fell from the high spiritual plane of Aries 19 million years ago. And so the um, elder teachers or the archangels could see because of his development that he was trying to help he thought an earth world that was going to be encountering ice age and he had the knowledge to prevent that but he was interfering that would have been part of their learning and their own evolution and we know there's no such thing as death so if they all lost their so called lives they would have an opportunity to incarnate again but he was looked up to as a god and put on a pedestal so uh, that began this imbalance in um, our galaxy where the energies were um, negatively biased and humankind on all of these planets was then moving backwards because there was very advanced technology but it was being misused there was not the joining of science and spirit and people were being mind controlled they were being used as slaves for research for food there was just a total disregard of the spirit that is within each soul. So these beings, um, the Aryans, there were 3,300 of them, made a plan that they would overshadow physical bodies as there was the need and incarnate on these various planets to bring the light directly to these blocked-off souls and the wisdom. And, And specifically, Uriel incarnated beginning back in the Orion civilization 800,000 years ago. I think when she started incarnating there, it was um, not quite as far back. But she came from the Pleiades as a Pleiadean named Delos, and she came specifically to try to wake up um, the fallen one, Tarantus. And it took many, many lifetimes, and then through many different epochs of time on other planets and eventually on this earth world that Uriel specifically incarnated in different roles. And in turn, um, Tarantus, whatever name he was at that time, whether it was Napoleon or um, um, Caesar, Caesar, and what was the one at the time in the name of Jesus? um, Pilate. Yeah, Pilate all of these different lifetimes, uh, he eventually was being awakened. And finally, this last lifetime, he passed um, about 19 years ago. He incarnated and he became the number one student of Ernest and Ruth Norman, who were the co-founders of the Anarius Mission. And um, he received, again, that gr- direct help and tutoring so to speak um by Uriel his teacher and he was open and accepted it and took the ego deflations and he regained his spiritual identity and I believe in the early 80s Uriel said that you're no longer um you have um been healed and you now are enteras and so he began a tremendous help um through his higher consciousness for all the actually trillions of people that were ultimately associated with him um, to also be a light bearer. And that was a great, great um, turning point for the success of this plan and for the earth world to be really moving forward um, in its progressive evolution.
2: So Unarius doesn't give up on people, even if it takes uh, millions of years (laughs) to uh, to find redemption. Redemption is there for them. Uh, (laughs) That is an awesome and powerful message.
6: Yeah, I mean, it's fantastic. And if you think about it, because we didn't accept these lighted teachers, um, we didn't always, of course, want to hear the truth. We didn't want to lose our positions of power so we turned against them to the point where we actually murdered them of course it's their physical bodies you can't kill a, a spiritual being and we destroyed or changed their teachings and they've incarnated back among the very ones that turned against them because they understand the principles and they don't pass judgment they understood you know the reason why we did that and that to me is true infinite love, to be able to come yes, back and, and to help those that have turned against you in that way, you know, truly turning the other cheek.
2: Right. Now, you had mentioned that um, uh, Tarantis initially his intent was uh, one of uh, helping and that he uh, should have allowed uh, people to undergo their catastrophe because it would have given them a chance to, Uh, come back because we are all immortal, and learn. Um, So we are here to learn uh, certain things. It it seems to be built into uh, the experience of of this uh, dimension of being. What type of lessons uh, are we here to learn? What's part of our educational program or our curriculum uh, here in material reality?
5: Well, there are seven different, say, fields or schools, spiritual world, uh, understandings, um, and each one is uh, has its own levels within it, its own uh, mastership. So, for instance, the plane of muse or the arts, to go through the arts and to become a master of the different um, expressions, whether it's painting, drawing, dancing, music, sculpture. Um, and so many of these masters and teachers and the lighted beings uh, have gone and mastered these different expressions and then they become, they are able to help and overshadow the students as they come through, whether they're on the earth plane or whether they're in a spiritual world. So then there's Um, There's Elysium, which is the plane of worship. There is Hermes, um, the plane of philosophy. There's uh, Eros, the scientific plane. Uh, Then Unarius, the leadership plane. Also the healing plane of Venus. And have I left one out? Orion. Yeah, Orion teaching. So those are the different umbrellas you could use the term, um, or understandings that um, souls take to incarnate and then learn these different expressions.
2: And that is true for all all souls when they're when they're ready.
5: Yes, but it's very vast, and within each. Um, spiritual plane of understanding they have these seven different uh, understandings within them so you can learn to teach art on Orion they have the arts they have philosophy etc. you know understanding um, um, science on these different planes as well so it's very vast it sounds kind of simple there but there's a lot of different levels, and it can take um, what a, how many years you could take a thousand years to master just one, wow. or depending on the, depending on the receptivity of that soul and how they are progressing and what they are expressing. So these masters have mastered these planes of um, expression.
2: And Unarius uh, does the same here, the uh, um, the organization. Um, I know that you encourage people to uh, cultivate their creative expression and to attempt things. And uh, a lot of your art, which is very distinctive and very uh, unique and very cosmic, uh, is from students who uh, were encouraged to express themselves and were given um the The means of expressing themselves, and uh, so that is very powerful our Our creativity is one of our most divine attributes
6: well, it's really developing that hookup to your higher self because true creativity comes from that interconnection and being overshadowed by these higher beings on these different planes, and you can feel. That frequency, that's why Mona Lisa is timeless, because it carries the very, very high frequencies of Leonardo, who is overshadowed by Archangel Michael.
1: And
5: that's
6: what's been... Oh, I was just going
5: to mention, that's what's been so uh, fantastic to see different students come through whether like in the art class, who never had expressed art before, and the next thing they're becoming aware because they had expressed it in other lifetimes, and they've been removing some of the negative blocks, and they can express freely the artwork.
2: Yes, Unarius gives them permission <laughs> uh, in some way. I've I've, I've watched some DVDs uh, that that focus on this, and uh, um, I, I was very heartened uh, to see that. Uh, many people are programmed negatively, especially in their unique creative self-expression. So uh, it, it was very liberating to see people being encouraged to try different things. And and the people find uh, that they're able to do these things that they never thought that they were able to do. Uh, that, too, taps them into their higher self and their, their creative uh uh, power. So even if Unarius did nothing else, uh, that would be a tremendous service to mankind, uh, which uh, you guys are doing all the time.
6: I, I think another aspect of that is that each soul has um, their own level of development. So what one soul may create, you could judge it and say, well, you know, that doesn't meet our standards of art, but for that soul, that could be, for their development and their attunement, the best that they could do. And Uriel would celebrate that. I remember when I first attended the art class, I used, um, I believe, watercolors, and I painted a pretty simple single-stemmed rose, and I sent it up to her, and she said, well, it was quite beautiful. And what I got from that, it wasn't necessarily the picture representation. It was because I had opened up and made that contact with my higher self and the artist on the inner, and she felt that frequency imbued in my artwork.
5: And another important aspect, too, is getting the ego out of the way, because you can create something very beautiful, but and as I'm recalling different experiences in the art class or paintings with different students, if it carried that egotistical frequency she would feel that and it was not it did not carry that love anymore so it was it's a whole nother aspect that it came from the higher self it radiates and it just is totally that that student that soul was totally overshadowed and imbibing the light and just expressing it onto into whatever expression that was really beautiful to see
2: another
6: point Another point going back to the lessons that we have to learn, well, because we've already lived thousands of lifetimes, um, I believe the co-founder Ernest Norman said that everyone on this planet has at least lived back to the time of Atlantis, and Atlantis flourished 40,000 years ago um, until it meant its demise about 12,000 B.C., so that's a long time ago. That's many lifetimes in between. So in living all those lifetimes, we haven't always made the wisest choices. And that energy is now, as patterns in our psychic or energy body, carries malformations. And uh, as we come back, it re-expects itself sickly. So that's an opportunity on an individual basis to learn lessons that maybe we didn't get in a previous lifetime. And as one begins studying the nearest teachings and learns how uh, energy functions and how we function as an energy being and tries to uh, see that in action in our own lives and then apply the principles of path-like therapy, you are on a speeded-up uh, course of evolution as far as these cycles coming into play and getting the opportunity to learn from your previous unwise choices because you didn't understand these energy principles and to turn around this negative karma. So um, it's wonderful thing that you won't have to keep coming back on this will of karma and regenerating those same negative energies and that you can Um, overcome them and have a healing and have a permanent change in your psychic body where the energies are biased to a positive and you're actually recreating your psychic body and you're developing and building your higher self so that eventually you would not have to incarnate in these physical worlds and you could live in the worlds that Jennifer described, the seven planes, and serve there as one of the lighted beings and All of the lighted beings um, that are in these inner planes, they've all lived physical lifetimes and learned these lessons and turned around their negative karma and understand how energy functions so they can then live through their, um, their minds, so to speak, in these higher worlds and can now be helpers for humankind. And that's what we all aspire to do.
2: You you read my mind. That was the next question I was going to ask, uh, Celeste. Oh, okay. uh, but, so that's awesome. Right. Um, so, we, uh, so we become those beings that come down to um, help us in turn, um, because while we're here, we're receiving this assistance from our higher self, our true self, and also from these lighted ones uh, that incarnate amongst us uh, or inspire those of us who are incarnate. Uh, with these cosmic truths that help us liberate ourselves from uh, uh, this experience where we're continuously caught up in uh, creating negative relivings, is that is, am I stating that correctly, or am I understanding that correctly? Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah, I think.
2: Now, you you mentioned also some um, names of beings that we know from our history or from our our religion or from our mythologies and from our legends. Can you name some other people whose uh, names might be familiar to our listeners uh, as examples of uh, lighted ones or advanced beings? Um,
5: Carla Gabron. Um... Van Gogh, Vincent Van Gogh, um, many of the artists during the Renaissance, um,
1: Yogananda.
5: Yogananda, Gandhi. Um, it, yeah, it's a very long list. Anything, any, uh, many of the brothers, sisters of light that came that left a positive. Uh, imprint on this planet would be included I would say Florence Nightingale Maria Teresa I mean the list is very very long and I mean whether they were conscious that that's what they were doing you know that's another thing
2: and these were on our earth recently these souls so uh, Mm -hmm. this is an ongoing process it didn't just happen long ago uh this is ongoing and uh um these beings are always with us helping to guide us That's right
5: um this it's a design for planet earth that you know has been in the works for over a million years and so when uh they've been very aware from the very beginning um when this planet would drop down in its frequency or its uh consciousness that many would come and incarnate to raise that frequency such as the time during the renaissance and um in the early 1900s when we had Nikola Tesla and then you know, Ruth Norman and we L. Norman I mean these great um we we would call them we call them super beings of course they don't want to be worshiped but um these great beings that have Come to give that love and light and infusion of energy, so that this earth can continue to progress in its upgoing.
1: Um,
5: and wow. they of
6: course brought they of course brought their teachings, and they brought it in the language of the time. So if there wasn't science, um, you know, Jesus taught in parables, and um, but there are basic truths that have been presented consistently throughout all these philosophies and religions um, that all of us should try to live by um, to live a progressive life. And um, sometimes, like we said, the teachings have been changed or destroyed and the whole Alexandrian library was burned down. That was a vast collection of teachings. But the great news is that Ernest and Ruth Norman set it up and incarnate or rather they overshadowed physical bodies because they weren't normal humans having a developed high, high consciousness as archangels as Ernest and Ruth Norman. And they met in February of 1954 at a, what we would call a metaphysical or new age type event and, um, Ernest Norman had been searching for someone that he knew was to help him, and he knew he was to write books, and he consciously didn't know anything else. And Ruth Norman um, also had had some very psychic experiences and knew there was something that she was going to do some tremendous work. And so shortly after they got together, even just went out for coffee, Ernest Norman started channeling this beautiful poetry, which... Ruth had the foresight to quickly take down in longhand. And what they set up to do was to actually complete the mission of Jesus and his betrothed, Mary of Bethany, not Mary Magdalene. uh, They were engaged. And to finish bringing the teachings, but the teachings now could be presented in the scientific Idiom because we live in an age of science, and to take Mm -hmm. uh, third-dimensional physics beyond third-dimensional physics into the understanding of interdimensional physics. And so that is fantastic. Um, They took precautions to make sure that their mission wasn't thwarted or cut short this time, and Ernest Norman was able to channel through 17 books that formed the core teachings of
2: Eunarius,
6: And so that is really a recreation of the Alexandrian
2: library. Yeah. And uh, there is a phenomenal amount of uh, truth in that. My uh, former life studies, uh, because I am Greek and I was uh, uh, acculturated and raised uh, Greek and went to Greek parochial school and all that Greek stuff. Uh, there, there are a lot of writings that survive Uh, But pieces of them are are missing, and they were safeguarded by uh, occult organizations. Um, And uh, some of this uh, information has uh, been uh, released. And since antiquity, there was a golden chain or a golden thread. Um, And uh, the information in uh, Unarius, in the Unarius uh, revelations, um, expands upon the information of antiquity. And uh, a lot of things that were obscure are very clear, and unless you know that, uh, the ancient material, you won't know that entire added dimension of the Unarian uh, teachings and the Unarian truths and their power, Uh, but there's a lot more there than meets uh, the eye, Um, and uh, Ernest and Ruth uh, Norman have given humanity a great gift uh, through these teachings,
5: and and going back um what comes to mind also is during the time of Atlantis um the uh book of life which yes. had the teachings and then yeah um that was uh distorted um by the negative forces and um you know that has its karmic um uh, problem you know uh Relivings with it, but um, it—the Unarius Library is that book of life, and with the interdimensional principles that any soul can take up and read and understand and move on. So it's it's really exciting when you think in terms of with your mind and thoughts, you can be in tune with these brothers of light who are there 24/7. So um, that's. You would ask that question, you know? Can, you know, they're they're with us? Yes, they are. And a lot of it is that, you know, where is our consciousness? Are we attuned to that? So.
2: Oh, most certainly so. Celeste. Yes. Do you have anything to to add to what the Jennifer said?
6: No, I'm ready for the next question.
2: <laughs> okay. We will onward to the next uh, question now. So we have the Unarian Brotherhood, um, which is on higher planes uh, and some of them incarnate uh, uh, amongst us. And then we have uh, Unarius, uh, the Unarius Academy of Science or the organization uh, Unarius. How does the organization work with uh, the brothers? Um, And, uh, um, what is the mission of the organization uh, in, in here and now?
6: Okay. Um, well, truly, yes. Hunarius is a spiritual organization, and the physical organization is the Academy of Science. And the nonprofit incorporated name is Hunarius Educational Foundation. Uriel set that up uh, in 1974, and. The whole point is that we are learning. We don't have a director now. When your Harris uh, passed in 1999, we, the core of us that were still at the Unarius Center in El Cajon became aware inwardly that there wasn't to be one person to be the director. That the next step was us to work in collective consciousness together. We worked against each other many lifetimes, vying for positions and. Such in the whole power-hungry uh, civilizations we lived in, and now we were going to work together in harmony. And of course, to do that, we had to apply these principles that we're learning of past life therapy because we had this tremendous uh, negative past history. But along with that, that we were all making this inner attunement to these spiritual teachers for guidance, and so that's been a wonderful process. And basically. The Unarius mission then is written down in the bylaws even for the foundation, um, stating that the whole purpose is to um, foster, teach, and promote the universal, articulate, interdimensional understanding of science known as Unarius, providing a higher spiritual understanding of life for the betterment of humankind through the publication and distribution of books, literature, other forms of media. As it was originally expressed through the higher consciousness of the co-founders Ernest Ruth Norman, and as part of that, we also offer classes, and um, and mm-hmm. we also own and operate um, our Unarius Center. Yes, where we hold events and workshops and and such, and where we get to do podcasts with Hercules. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And um I
5: just wanna say I just wanna say how beautiful it is because through these years because I you know, I am not at the center, um, in El Cajon, but they have um the board, as they call it, um, of directors have worked together and um really helped each other out, um and really are these um they are examples of the teachings, and um, they have become so close in such a beautiful way. Um, just, I mean, beyond, I'd say, friendship, but in terms of you know the the love that you can have for um, a, a student who's been working out and then who becomes more and more light filled. Each one of them, um, it's it's been. It's really I just have so much respect for each and every one of them who moderate the classes, who carry on um you know they keep the Facebook up um they help whatever with the events. it's you know all I can say is that um anyone who wants to visit the center or write in or calls it's it's I'm just very very appreciative of everything everyone does there at the center
2: oh I'm very well, thank you, Jennifer. This. I I live far away, and uh, I can vouch for the fact that uh, um, my relationship with Unarius, which uh, has extended for around 20 years uh, and has been mostly by phone and uh, email, um, and until the podcast started, and until we met uh, uh, when uh, Unarius came to uh, New York and I was able to uh, go there at the Life Expo, um, that The folks at Dunarius have always been phenomenally helpful, uh, whichever way I've communicated uh, with them, uh, and uh, my interactions have all been very uh, pleasant. And I've said many times, I wish that I lived nearer to El Cajon, (laughs) because I'd love to Mm -hmm. hang out more often.
6: Mm -hmm. Well, appreciate the comments, but... Really, it's our opportunity to turn around our negative past and to follow through on what we set up to do. And when I do things um, to share the love and light of Unarius in whatever form, I feel that tremendous healing energy. I am the benefactor. Uh, it is the most wonderful experience to be the arms and legs in that way. I would not trade it for anything in the world.
2: Awesome.
4: Awesome. Great. And
5: yep.
2: Jennifer you expressed something similar too.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just um yeah, anytime time we're able to um talk about the talk about the teachings and take part in any event or um class, it you, you feel that. Uh, you feel that love and light. So, yes, um you know, I know that each one um they are the benefactors for sure. But when you look over, when you look at um, what has been accomplished in these years, yes, it shows that, it shows that receptivity to the brothers and sisters of light.
2: Now, does Unarius um, uh, have, if, if somebody wants to purchase uh, uh, Unarius books, does that have to be uh, only through Unarius or does Unarius deal with uh, individual bookstores? The reason I'm asking Uh, is a bookstore uh, where I donated uh, some books and Mm -hmm. for sale uh, the books have sold and people are asking for them so uh, uh would I have the bookshop owner speak with you and you guys can arrange whatever you arrange? Okay.
6: Yes Uh and we would sell the books discounted to them.
2: Fantastic. I believe
6: uh, believe we give a if I'm remembering right um, I think it's I think it's a 40% discount, but we can talk about that later. But, yes, of course we can do that. Mm
2: -hmm. This is uh, the Amber Dragon where I give my uh, monthly uh, workshops on uh, ancient theurgy and theosophy, which is the the more ancient form of the ancient wisdom uh, that uh, Unarius teaches. And uh, there, one of my um, uh, students... Uh, has always been very interested in Unarius. And when I, br- I brought in books uh, to donate to the group, she'd always take the Unarius books. So she's been building up a library that way. But mm. uh, after I left some for sale too, some of the customers started buying them. So uh, uh, Linda Marciniak had asked how she can get more books. So uh, um, oh, I figured let me ask the question before it, it, it loses itself in my mind again with all the other things that are floating around uh, in there.
6: Yeah, that's yeah. fantastic. So one of the things that you ask us as potential question, Hercules, is, mm-hmm. um, are you know why? What keeps us here? I'm assuming on planet Earth, and are we in truth right. stuck and in, in need of rescue? And mm-hmm. what what attracts us here is our base plane frequency of our psychic anatomy. If we were more developed being we could live on a more advanced physical planet or remain in these higher spiritual realms. So that's the whole point is to try to uh, change that frequency to a higher one. Um, And we're doing that by working out our past and, um, you know, by our creative endeavors and our giving of self. So we're not because uh, we have this wonderful teaching and we have the help through our interconnection with our spiritual teachers and guides. But I think there's a, sometimes a misconception that they're going to rescue us. And you can use that term, but then you need to qualify it because you can't rescue someone that's not open and willing to change and open to help and new information, and that has been, I know, my problem in many past lifetimes when I had the opportunity to sit at the feet of the masters, whether it was in an Atlantean temple or, you know, at a later time, say in Greece or Egypt, is that I was open to a point, but then when the truth hit home and maybe something was said by the teacher that I didn't like because it stung, you know, it was... Pointing up that I wasn't who I thought I was it was the ego deflation I couldn't Mm -hmm. accept that and I turned Against them and left the temple and Worked against them so That's a really important Point I think is that um, You know no one can Truly rescue you you have To be part of your Healing and um, If you're totally Blocked and I know Everything (laughs) and I already know That and whatever, um, you're not going to receive help. And we encounter sometimes that when we go out to expos. People have studied all different things, and when they come up and start talking to us, they start teaching us or spouting back what they've learned, and that's great. But if you're not open to, gee, maybe there's some new information here or something that's presented that um, is in a different light of what I've learned before, it's not going to do you any good. No. And
5: also um, what comes to mind is the, about, the, about rescue and the um, brothers, the Anirian brothers, brothers um, can help and extend that energy um, and do amazing things to, to be that guiding light. But to a certain point, then it would be karma if they did too much too. And then that soul would not learn the lessons. Um, that they need to learn, so it works both ways, too. Uh, good point, Jennifer. Because I think, I know that, you know, the question has come up, well, why don't they take care of the pollution or, what? you know, um, they help so much, um, as it's been said in the text, in terms of how much help we get from um, these beings, uh, lighted beings, however, They can't do
6: it for us either. We have to take that step forward. And I think one of the key universal truths that all major religions and philosophies have taught is the golden rule, do unto others as you would have done unto yourself. And to really see that we're not just physical beings, there's a continuity to life, we're spiritual beings, and to see that spark of light that inner flame within each soul. And if we all could begin to do that, think of how quickly the world could change instead of just judging by the outside and having all the fears toward the others when they're different than we are.
2: Very good points and and well worth uh, contemplating and meditating upon. Um, How can we help the lighted beings um, guide us toward uh, another golden age, one that rivals uh, Greece or Atlantis. How can we work with them in concert uh, to to create this better world and And what is the vision for the greater world?
6: Do you want to answer first, Jennifer? Um,
5: well, to assist, the best way is our consciousness and where we um, are open to them, and through uh, keeping that attunement, keeping a positive consciousness. They say keep it 24/7. That's pretty difficult, but um, as much as possible, you know, know when your your consciousness, your thoughts are going um, in a negative. And changing that as, as much as possible, and studying about energy, learning about um where the past is, what the lessons are that you came to learn here um so that you can address that and um take more and more part in becoming more and more light filled
6: and Thank you reaching out to others but that I is think very the exact. Sorry to interrupt. I think the example we had, for those of us, Jennifer had um, many more years of interaction with Ruth Norman, and eventually we called Uriel by her spiritual name than myself. But what little interaction I had or saw her in person, she was a wonderful example of what we would want to aspire to be um, in terms of being selfless and giving a self and thinking of others and um, sharing that love and light with everyone that she met and, and initiating many positive projects and, uh, that would help people and get people involved to help themselves. So that is the example that I aspire to become, Mm -hmm. to help the Nereus brothers here on earth.
2: That is a very awesome thing to uh, aspire to. And uh, again, I can vouch for the fact that uh, you have been doing that for at least as long as I've known you, which has been a while.
6: So, and what what do we have to look forward to um, for the new golden age? Um, well, what made the golden age in Atlantis was the harmony, the balance. Um, mm-hmm. And there was the joining of what we say science and spirit. So there was very advanced technology, but then there was the spiritual development to use it for positive purposes in a wise way to help humanity to, Rather than to use it in such ways That developed um, Materialism In harmony misuse of um, Energy on the planet That causes the problems we have Now with the climate change Issues and environmental Problems um, That there was peace among Humankind because again they Recognized the spirit within Each one and uh, living By the golden rule and There was the um, more giving of self attitude versus the me attitude of what's in it for me, what's this going to do for me, how can I accrue um, positions, power, all those things that we can't take with us when we go over to the other Mm -hmm. side.
1: Right. Right.
6: And then also um,
5: the joining with other Planets, other peoples on other planetary worlds, the Interplanetary Confederation planets who have used these principles and have um, come through many, many problems and are now uh, wanting Earth to join so that we can have this very positive future. Um, I think that's uh,
6: it's very, very exciting. That is, that is definitely important. part of the master master plan, because this uh, interplanetary confederation was supposed to have happened th- hundreds of thousands of years ago. But instead, in the Orion civilization, there was outright war, war of the worlds was real, where whole planets were blown up. So it's been waylaid, but there has been tremendous healing um, with the higher beings plan and it's um, come to the point where the plan is moving forward. It may not look like it, but all these negative cycles are coming to fruition. But more and more people are spiritually awakening because they're being preconditioning, preconditioned. They're attending these spiritual schools in between lives and sleep state. And then, you know, they're questioning of what's going on and they're wanting to um, make themselves... Um, a better person, which in turn, and as Jennifer talked about, so important to maintain that positive attitude and positive consciousness. Um, and that's really powerful. That can create change very quickly.
2: Oh, that, that and, is indeed very true.
5: And we have the anniversary of 65 years on planet Earth for Unarius coming up next week. <laughs>
6: And Happy Anniversary! I... <laughs> yeah. So, 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 so it's very exciting. Traveling? Well, we're starting in our in our class this Sunday, having a tribute to spirit and having students show, share their appreciation in various forms um, from writing something short that we'll read, because some students, of course, aren't with us uh, in El Cajon, and um, poetry, singing, music, um, and we, of course, live stream our classes. And then the weekend of the 16th and the 17th is open to the public on Saturday. We're having open house from 1 to 3:30, and we're live streaming most of that. Um, a good portion of it will be on Facebook, and we'll have singing with our Enarius Corlears. We'll have... Um, about a 25-minute video showing historical footage of Unarius and its co-founders and what the mission's about um, that Kevin's putting together. And uh, Jennifer's going to be starting out the tour, if you want to talk about that, Jennifer.
0: Awesome.
5: Yeah, I'm just going to talk a little bit about some past anniversaries and then the tour, which will, um, I think, will be taking place through the center and then up into the warehouse and costume department, video department, other departments. I don't want to give it all away. So,
2: okay. <laughs> yeah, very very exciting. And I looked so at it the clock. Be... We have only like three more minutes until they oh, cut us yeah, off. yeah, so. yeah.
6: And then but, of course uh, on Sunday we have we Sunday we have a creativity workshop in the afternoon and then the. Um, Climax for the whole weekend is a contact with our spiritual teachers on Sunday evening. Again, we live stream that, and it's archived for several days, so if people want to um, join in the lesson, they can go to our website to see how to log in.
2: Awesome. And what is your website and your telephone number, and uh, in which way can people connect with you, Marius?
6: So our main website our main is website www.unarius.org and the um, phone number is an 800 number, 800-475-7062 or you can email us, uriel at unarius.org. You can contact us through Facebook, um, you know, with social media, it's kind of overwhelming sometimes all the ways mm-hmm. that you yes. can get touch. and um So, yeah, we're really hoping as many people as possible can join us in person and if not, that you can join us online because there will be a tremendous amount of love energy shared um,
2: on the next weekend.
5: That's for sure.
2: And uh, thank you for sharing this information with uh, our audience. And uh, it's always a pleasure to have you both on. Um, and uh, I wish you great success with your celebration, and happy anniversary.
5: Thank, thank you so you. much, Hercules. Always such a joy to talk to you.
2: And thank you, Celeste.
6: Hey. Appreciate it. Bye-bye.
2: Okay, Bye. bye-bye, everybody. Uh, again, thanks for being on, and I'm glad we're working together to bring about a golden age. That's one of the most awesome things I could be doing with uh, a life. Um, yeah, thanks
6: well, thank so you. Thank you. Thank you so much for all the energy you put into hosting the podcast.
2: Yes. My pleasure. Please give yeah. my regards to, to all my fellow Unarians in El Cajon. All right. Okay, everyone, thanks, thanks for joining us. Uh, until next time, this is Hercules and Celeste and Jennifer wishing you the best.
0: Olympian blessings to all who have joined us on our adventure. Now, go forth and create a better world, one filled with light and love. On behalf of the pride of Olympus and her crew, may your journeys be joyous.